Jesus is seated at the right hand of God for the entire millennium, that symbolic thousand-year reign of Christ, from his ascension to his return at the end of the millennium, he will return to judge the living and the dead. That's the teaching of the Bible, and we confess that, confess our faith in Christ who will return, question and answer 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you turn to page 880 in the back of your songbooks, page 880, as he sits at the right hand of God, he's head of his church and from Zion, he's extending his scepter to the ends of the earth, he's ruler of all things, and then one day he will return. How does 52, question and answer 52, how does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 1. Turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 1. On page 1175, page 1175, 2 Thessalonians 1, we'll read 5 through 12. Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians, verse 4, about their steadfastness and faith in all the persecutions and in the afflictions that they're enduring. But the Holy Spirit wants us to know that one day these persecutions and afflictions will all receive their answer on Judgment Day, even though there's so much justice that does not get done here during this time. This is evidence, verse 5, of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. 
To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. Strengthen our faith in him. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, I don't know if you've ever been on a long trip, on a vacation, and you're still a long ways off from your destination, and you're getting tired, and you think you should be there already, and you start asking, are we there yet? No. And then your brother starts punching you in the back, And your sister starts pinching you, as they do. And your dad's looking around in the fields, endangering your life. Your mom is scolding you. There's a crazy driver on the road who just about hit you and ruined your lives. A storm came upon you and scared everybody. Are we there yet? No. A long ways to go. That's the way it is with the Christian church. And every Christian, we're on a journey through the wilderness to the promised land. We're traveling through this time of the millennium. And the kingdom is advancing. The gospel's going out. And the influence of Jesus Christ is being made known across the nations. And the devil is losing. But it's an intense struggle. There are struggles internal. There are struggles in the church. There are struggles in the world, against the world. Are we there yet? Has the time come where we can live happily ever after? It's coming. It's coming. There's one event left on the calendar of redemptive history. Jesus' return. And on that day... The dead will be raised. The living will be brought before him. Everybody will be judged. The heavens and the earth will be burned, will be dissolved with fire. A new creation will come out of that. The wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will enter into their everlasting. All that will happen on that day. Big day. Big day. And they lived happily ever after. It's coming. It's coming. Are you ready? Are you waiting? Are you eager to see him? What a day that will be, says the hymn, when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and he leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrows there and no more burdens to bear, no more sickness and no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be perfect fellowship with God and with each other. No Joabs, no Shebas, no problems. Right here, we go 
to the end of one trouble and a new one starts. But there will come to the end of trouble and there'll be no new one starting ever again. The heavenly judge will come first. We witness in the Bible also the horrors of hell when the heavenly judge comes and the hope of heaven. The heavenly judge. We read there in 2 Thessalonians 1 that God will grant relief, verse 7, to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Let's think on that. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Awesome. And the Bible says the Christian looks forward to that. In my distress and persecution, we confess, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who's already offered himself in the judgment of God in my place and so removed the whole curse from me. Brothers and sisters, we're busy in the work of the Great Commission. We are busy in prayer, in preaching, in witnessing, in serving in every area of life. Whatever your task, whatever your trade, whatever your schooling, And in all the work of the Great Commission during the millennium, our hearts and minds, says the Bible, are to be set on heaven. We're to be heavenly minded. And we are to eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, says Philippians 3. I was taught often as a kid, that's high in the sky by and by to be looking for Jesus to come. You should rather be looking at the earth and focusing on your calling. And remember that hymn, Dwell in me, O blessed spirit. Do you remember how it, how it ended in the chorus? For the home of bliss that waits me, O prepare this heart of mine. And some people decided that was too escapist, looking for Jesus to come back for the home of bliss that waits me, oh, prepare this, this heart of mine. So they changed it to for the kingdom work that calls me, oh, prepare this heart of mine. Well, yes, both. But when Christians are not eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back, we are losing our faith. That's how serious that is. Come thou long expected Jesus is the theme of the Christian life. Listen to 2 Peter 3. According to his promise, we're waiting. We're looking for new heavens and a new earth, the home in which righteousness dwells. We're a Maranatha people. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Come, Lord Jesus. Paul says in Titus 2, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as you wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
It's not wrong to be eager to want him to return. In fact, it is wrong if you are not eager for that. That's a problem. That's a spiritual problem. If in your millennial service, seeking the kingdom, looking for the influence of Jesus Christ to be spread, to move, if you are not at the same time, if I'm not at the same time, waiting for Jesus to return eagerly with uplifted head, I've got a problem. I'm getting lost in this world. And that's a clue that it's not the kingdom of Christ that's driving me anymore. It's some earthly kingdom that's driving me. And so you remember that when Jesus ascended into heaven, what did the disciples say? This Jesus will return in the same way that you saw him go. And he will come on the day already set by the Father. It's set. It's fixed, the Bible says. And then God the Father will send his Son after the elect have been saved and brought into the church from every nation. Every eye will see Jesus returning on that day. And he'll be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. They'll be his servants on that day, delivering the righteous and the wicked to their destinies. And he'll come in flaming fire. The Bible says, in glory. What's that fire for? Well, when he comes down in fire, he is going to burn the heavens and the earth and destroy all the corruption and wickedness and ungodly people in that fire. It's a terrible fire. It's a scare. It's a dreadful fire. But for the believer, we're not afraid of that fire because Jesus took that fire on the cross. Your judgment day has been carried by Jesus on the cross. And the fires of hell came upon him for you. And for us, that fire is Jesus' way of creating the new heavens and the new earth because with that fire, he's going to burn away all the corruptions and impurities. But also, with the coming down of the new heavens and the new earth in that day, or holy, the heavenly Jerusalem, everything will be renewed. And the Garden of Eden will be restored globally. Shalom. What a day that will be. Everything will be beautiful. Fruitful, peaceful, lovely. And then Jesus will take the great white throne, says the book of Revelation, and he'll summon all men, women, children, all great and small, dead and alive, to stand before him. He'll raise up the dead. He'll bring the living. They'll all stand before him. And before the judgment, he will separate the wicked and the righteous, the sheep on on the right, the goats on the left. Because the judgment day will not be a deciding of our judgment, but God publicly declaring our judgment to show in the presence of all that his judgment is just. That if we're saved, it's just. Because he put our sin and judgment on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're forgiven and his righteousness has been given to us, and his Holy Spirit lives in us, and we'll have been serving the Lord, not perfectly, 
but will have been serving the Lord. And the wicked left to their own good works which cannot save them and they'll be destroyed. And so it's, it's very scary for the wicked, but for the righteous. For the righteous, we look forward eagerly because he's already stood place. He stood trial in my place before God and so has removed the whole curse from me. And so the question might sound a little strange. How does Christ return to judge the living and the dead not scare you but comfort you? Well, it's because he's going to make everything right in that day. He's going to make everything right. The wick will cry for the hills to fall on them and the mountains to cover them because they'd rather be swallowed by an earthquake than face the majesty of the heavenly judge, Jesus Christ, so great and awesome and burning. But the righteous, those who belong to Jesus Christ, have been saved by him, justified by him, changed, their lives changed by him. What a day. Do you look for him and do you long for him? Here's how to be ready. Repent of your sin. Ask the Lord Jesus to save you from your wickedness, to forgive you. Ask him to give you a new heart and change you. There, you're ready. You're ready. The horror of hell, secondly, it will be an absolutely horrible day for the unrepentant, the hypocrite, and every unbeliever. We can get away with faking it in this life. Even though God knows the truth, we can get away with faking it, sort of. But on that day, all the fakery, all the facade will be torn off and the real you, the real me, will stand before him. And the unrepentant, the hypocrite, and the unbeliever will be cast into everlasting condemnation on that day. And that day is just the beginning of horror, the beginning of never-ending horror, where Jesus says, their fire is not quenched and the worm does not die, I die out. You're always suffering so much you're dying of it, but you're never dead. That's what we read in 2 Thessalonians 1. When Christ comes with all his holy angels in flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance, look at verses 8 and 9, on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And on that day, verse 6, God will repay with affliction those who afflict you. See, on that day, congregation, God will make everything right. So much pain is left unhealed in this life. So many cries and sighs are left unanswered. 
So much injustice is still waiting for justice. But on that day, everything will be made right and God will repay with affliction those who afflicted you, says 2 Thessalonians 1. Abel's blood now cries from the ground. It's waiting to receive justice from God on that day it will come. And think of all the apostles of Jesus martyred for the cause of the gospel. Who will avenge their blood? And many saints suffer silently in their homes and workplaces, enduring a lot of ridicule and hardship because they follow Jesus. And then think of those Christian girls who have been stolen by Muslim people forced to marry Muslim men and to live in slavery the rest of their lives. And they're still believers. What's the way out? For some of them, there is no fix in this life. But as we said this morning, as we read last week in Psalm 56, God is taking every tear of theirs and collecting it in his bottle and writing their pains in his book. None of it is hidden from him. None is forgotten. It's all being written down, all being collected. One day we'll all get rewarded by him. The righteous will be rewarded with glory for every affliction they have suffered in this life. On that day, the wicked will receive justice from the hand of God for their lies, oppression, self-love, and hatred of God. They will receive justice as well for not obeying the gospel. But the righteous will have every tear wiped away from their eyes, and all sorrow and sadness will flee away. But God will cast all his enemies and ours into the painful punishment of eternal destruction, which is an eternity of hellfire, again, where you're always dying but never dead, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Matthew Henry writes, in hell, there will be two things. Number one, great grief, floods of tears shed to no purpose, anguish of spirit preying eternally upon the vitals because of the wrath of God, which is the torment of the damned. Great grief, too great indignation. Damned sinners will gnash their teeth for spite and vexation, full of the fury of the Lord, seeing with envy the happiness of others and reflecting with horror upon the former possibility of their own being happy, which is now past. The happiness ship has sailed, and I didn't take it. The ship of Jesus, and I didn't take it. It's past, and there's no more opportunity. But you know what the worst, brothers and sisters, is not what the wicked get in hell, but what they miss. That's what Paul says. They'll be cast away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They will miss out. They will miss out on adoring the ravishing beauty and the deep 
deep love of God, fellowship with him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That peace and shalom of the new creation, the joy and happiness of being with him, the blessing of his paradise, the thrill of blessed communion with his people where we'll be all one happy family and there'll be no snake there. You'll miss out forever. It's a horrible thing even to contemplate anybody entering the horrors of hell. And many conveniently deny the doctrine of hell, but that's like denying the nose on your face because to deny judgment day and eternal rewards, hell and heaven, is denying two things that are most basic to human race, to the human heart. A sense of purpose, teleology, we call it. Things are going somewhere. That lives deep inside us, that everything has a purpose, everything has a conclusion, is going somewhere. And the other is a sense of justice, lives deep inside the human heart. There's right and there's wrong and there's a repayment. And when we deny hell, when we deny judgment day, we're denying those two most basic things. We're denying scripture. We're denying the word of God, which can't be wrong. But we're also denying what lives inside the human heart. Two things about the doctrine of hell, brothers and sisters. You don't want to end up there. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Number two, God doesn't want you to end up there. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked and he calls us to repent. And if you're bound in the chains of sin and your mind and your flesh are held captive by Satan to do his will and you can't let go of sin, plead for his mercy today. He may return on the clouds of heaven tonight. And once you see him, the Bible says, there'll be no chance to repent. That ship will have sailed for you too. So now is a day of salvation. Ask him to save you from your sin and change you from a child of Satan to a child of God, for somebody who loves sin and is addicted to it, to someone who loves Christ and is addicted to him. And you fight with sin. You hate it. Oh, we still struggle with it. And we still sin. But when we ask God to take us lost and filthy and wicked and take us and make us his own, he will do so. And I think of the father in the parable of the prodigal son. And that son, that child is so lost. And he's given the finger to his dad. And he has despised him and turned his back on him and said, you're worth nothing to me. I have a better life away from you. Like to think of the despicable life that he's lived. And then he comes home and has a speech already. I want to be your servant. Just, just make me a servant. But he doesn't even get that far because the father is waiting. And he sees his son a long way out and he starts running, which was Bad manners for any dad in that day. He starts running. He's so eager to meet him and grab him and hug him and embrace him and say, nothing doing, my servant. You're my son. 
That's how he'll take you. And then you can rest secure that your judgment, that you deserve, that I deserve, has been put on the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we will be there at judgment day and face judgment, our judgment will have been taken from us by Christ. And thirdly, we see the hope of heaven and glory. But he will take me and all his chosen ones into the joy and glory of heaven. Paul writes about that in 2 Thessalonians 1. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, that's the first thing, and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. First, he'll be glorified in his saints. It doesn't say he'll be glorified by his saints that will glorify him, which we will forever. The other way around, he will be glorified in you. That is, your life, body and soul, will be so transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that? When we see him, we shall become like him, for we'll see him as he is. So whether we're transfigured, we're alive and transfigured at his coming as believers, or we're dead and we're raised up and glorified, we will shine so brightly with the glory of Christ that he will be glorified in his saints, individually and in the whole community of heaven. Remember what Jesus said in the parable in Matthew 13, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's the first thing. He comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at. Like you think Jesus is awesome now as you read the Bible. Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Sorry, I'll just put it there. You haven't seen anything yet. When I return in glory and you see my face, you will be utterly amazed at my beauty and the life that I have prepared for you. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. I has not seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has the mind of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jerusalem the golden, with milk and honey blessed, beneath thy contemplation sink heart and voice oppressed. In other words, when we think about you, the heart and the voice just 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 can't rise to that level. So glorious it is. I know not, oh, I know not what joys await us there, what radiance of glory, what bliss beyond compare. Individually and communally, the king will be glorified in us And he'll be marveled at by us. And we'll no longer have to turn from 2 Samuel 19 to 20. Trouble again? And we'll no longer have to say, what, another test? Another sickness? More trouble in the family? Another death of a loved one. That will all be over. And they will live happily ever after.
Lift up your head, says Jesus. Your redemption is drawing near. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, Revelation 21, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is the throne of David, and there from care released, the shout of them that triumph, the song of them that feast, and they who with their leader have conquered in the fight forever and forever are clad in robes of white. Jesus in mercy, bring us to that dear land of rest where you with God the Father and Spirit are ever blessed. Amen. Father, we look forward to this day. The sight of you will be unimaginably beautiful. And what we already get to see of you here in the creation around us and above all in the gospel is stunning. Is stunning. But we haven't seen anything yet. We long to see you on that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly and make us ready. Lord, may not one of us end up in the horrors of hell that is inexpressibly sad to think about. But may we all enter the joy and glory of heaven. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. Amen.